0: Amen, you can be seated. Um, few th- just a few things before we get into the sermon and from Casey and Stuart. I had just a c- couple brief. The scriptures to share with you before we. Uh, you can't let a. This is what happens when a preacher introduces the preachers, sir. So. But um, Colossians one twenty-seven, actually starting in uh, verse twenty-six, it says, "The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested." to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among, among the Gentiles so there's a what is the age old question the question of the ages the mystery of the ages this is what Paul saying here this is, this is it you know people ask you know what's the purpose in life and Why are we here? The the mystery of that question, this is what Paul's saying, is the mystery of the ages that is revealed in his saints. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of the ages. That's what everything is revolving around. Christ in you. And that's so much is in that because Christ in you means that you're dead and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And I had a a vision, I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. If if you've been at the awakening for seven years, you've heard regurgitated stories over and over from my life, but they're worth sharing. Um, One time I was actually getting some uh, inner healing prayer and I had a vision of the Lord was standing to my right, and I, was standing to my, and I was standing to the left, and there we just had a horde of an army of demons coming at us. And they looked like the orcs from Lord of the Rings and stuff. And we're, we're in armor, you know, fighting with swords. And I'm fighting over there, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm killing demons, but they're just keep coming. There's no end. I can't even, they're just, and I'm getting tired. But, you know, I'm just fighting and fighting my heart out. And I look over and Jesus isn't even fighting. He's, he's looking at me. He's doing this. Now, in Jesus' way, is, there's no shame when he's doing this. It was, I felt zero shame when he, he just, I just knew that he's, what he was saying is, Travis, you don't, you don't understand yet. But he didn't say anything. And I looked at Jesus and I said, why aren't you fighting He said, I can't fight with you all the way over there. And I said, what do I have to do? He said, you got to get in me. And so I didn't really want to. I was like, but Jesus, I'm fighting. Look, I'm fighting for you. Look, I want you to see how I'm fighting for you. And that was the kicker is because Even in fighting for Jesus, I wanted to be seen. Even in doing the works of the kingdom, I wanted to be seen. And the Lord was saying, even though that's good, it's not the best way. And he's not, and you're going to run out of strength. And you're going to run out of fire when you do it apart from him. But the thing is, you have to be okay with not being seen. It, it doesn't mean that you won't be. It, God won't give you a platform or whatever that people will know you. I'm not saying that. You have to, but you have to be okay. He's raising up people that when success comes, it's not going to ruin them. Yeah. And that's what he's talking about. So he's got to settle these things first in your heart that you're gonna be the same whether there's a spotlight on you or you're gonna be the same whether nobody ever knows your name. And so I told the Lord, I said, I want want to fight for you. I don't wanna fight in you. There's a difference. And so he just, he wasn't fighting and I was about to, eventually I would wear out and get overtaken. But I did in that vision, I made a decision, I stepped in to Jesus and I completely disappeared. It wasn't like me and Jesus morphed together and had half his features, half my features. I was completely hidden in him. And whenever I stepped into Jesus, he swung his sword, and it's like a thousand demons would fall with each swing of the sword. And the Lord He told me thirteen years ago, He said, Travis, I want you to be my Delta Force soldier. Now you know, At the time, I, I'm into the barbarian way, man, uh, wild at heart, and those kinds of things, which are, which are amazing. So I was just kind of like, yeah, Delta Force soldier, uh-huh. Let's do it. And then the Lord said, Are you okay with not being seen? And I told the Lord, I said, Not really. And he said, well, you can't be a Delta Force soldier if you're okay with being seen. Because Delta Force soldiers, nobody even knows that they go in. But they prepare the way for the other, the rest of the army. So you want to be special ops for the Lord. You got to be okay with being hidden in Christ. Nobody knowing your name except the Lord. You don't live for the praise of man, but it's okay to live for the praise of God. The Lord to brag on you. Tell you, you're my I'm well pleased with you. And that's when somebody encourages you, we're not like, no, 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 I gotta get it from the Lord. I'm not saying that. That's good. Every we we need encouragement from our brothers. The Bible tells us to do that. But what I'm saying is that can't be what you live off of. And I went through that phase too. When I first came to the Lord, I was helping with a youth group that uh at the Baptist church that Jessica and I were going to. And I was working real hard for the Lord, and if somebody went a couple of weeks without telling me what a great job I was doing with the youth group, I, I literally would go to the Lord and say, "Am I am I doing something wrong? Is some, God what's going on?" And then every, and then um, the youth pastor hired an intern that summer who was getting to preach, and I, you know, I'm I'm sitting in the crowd, and I was like, "Look, he's getting to preach." I can preach. Why am I, why am I not getting to preach? And, and then, you know, this guy used like an umbrella for a prop. And, I, and I, would, I was like, man, what umbrella for a prop? Who does that? So I was just critical and judgmental in my thoughts. And now it's realized what I was thinking. It's like, God, help me, help me, forgive me. Help me, help me, help me. Look at him. Oh, God, no, no, no. Just this battle back and forth. And I had to. Part of it was, when you when you perform for the Lord, the comparison stuff starts coming. And so we have to know, and that's the only way you can actually stay hidden in God is, that, is to know who you are in in the Lord. And that's the mystery of the ages is, and the saints are supposed to reveal that to the world, Christ in you, that you truly are dead. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you and the life you live, you live by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave his life for you. You no longer live. You're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You're dead to sin, but you're now the righteousness of God. And so we've been brought up in the wrong homeschool most of our lives. And part of realizing this truth, the mystery of the ages, is you got to go to 2 Corinthians 10 where it says, we have weapons of warfare that are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. And it says these strongholds are not fleshly. They're not in the natural. It says they're arguments and lofty opinions. So your battle is against, is that there's an argument that tries to come against you. That's trying to infiltrate your mind not all of your thoughts are your thoughts and the devil wants you to believe that because if you believe oh i'm or i'm feeling this way or i have this thought then it's yours you take ownership and it's like that's just who i am no you're who god says you are your opinion actually doesn't even matter either the only thing that matters, it's not what the world says, it's not what you say, it's what God says. And so you've got to renew your mind with the truth. What does God say? So if you get a, a, a feeling of wanting to compare yourself to somebody, you've got to come back, combat that argument that lofty opinion that's coming against the knowledge of Jesus Christ and say, no, I am a child of God. I am special and unique. God is pleased with me, and he wouldn't have created me if he didn't want me here. Have you ever thought that? If God wanted you to be somebody else, why did he make you? And so you, but you have to go to war. By, with the truth against those arguments and opinions. Whose opinion is it? It could be the world's. It could be the devil's. But it's not the Lord's. So you combat it with the truth, and the truth will set you free. And sometimes you got to fight a war and fight a battle more than once. And so say one day you, you repeat that the truth of who you are. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And it's not setting in. you got to keep fighting. And you got to ask the Lord, help me. And he'll give you the strength. But don't give up after one failed try. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. So righteousness by that definition means you don't give up. So do not give up. On who God's called you to be, don't settle for anything less than the fullness of the gospel that every ordinary believer in Jesus Christ gets to walk in power, love, and a sound mind. That is your inheritance in Jesus Christ. The mystery of the ages. When you truly die, I've been I've been saying this this past week. My fear is dead. On the cross my courage is alive in Christ my unbelief is dead on the cross my faith is alive in Jesus Christ my orphan heart is dead on the cross my sonship is alive in Jesus Christ so you tell things they're dead and you say you speak things into life you take the cross as your weapon and you say that thing is dead it's been nailed to the cross and you do it until you believe it and you do not give up and you feel like you're losing strength you say god give me strength david said it all the time the lord gives strength to his people so you ask the lord i need you i need you to fight for me i need you to help me do my part when just believing, I, just, I need grace to believe, God. Whatever you got, I pray. He'll give it to you. You don't have to conjure it up yourself. You need courage? God, give me courage. Lord, I need the truth. Lord, give me truth. You ask him for whatever you need. And then you believe that you've received it. All right? Amen. All right, Ann. Come on out. Ann's got a word for somebody. This is Ann Evans, y'all, the lovely Ann Evans. Y'all give her a hand.
1: Well, Travis came over during worship, and he said, Ann, do you have a word? I feel like you have a word for somebody. And I said, no, but I can get one. (laughs) So during worship, I just asked the Lord who he wanted to speak to. And he said, you, Mike. So, Mike, will you stand up? (laughs) I just feel the Father's heart just wants to encourage you and let you know that he adores you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And I just see a season right ahead of you where the Lord is just going to open up his incredible love for you. And I just ask the Holy Spirit to just pry open your heart to be able to receive the goodness and the kindness and the love of the Father for you. He loves you at the core of your being, and you don't have to try to be lovable. He absolutely loves you just where you are. And I just feel like this next season in your life is just going to be one where you're just going to get wave and wave upon another wave of his incredible love for you. And, Mike, I also just feel like you're called to be a worshiper. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sing on stage or have an instrument, but a worshiper... In your heart, you're just going to just worship him like crazy. And that's how you're going to share the love of God with other people. You're just going to worship him um, in front of other people and share what he's done for you. So good season ahead for you, Mike.
0: Yes. Amen. That's good. I had a quick word for uh, Kaylee. Kaylee, I just, as Ann was Prophesying, this is the great thing about when you start prophesying it just starts spreading you get in the spirit of prophecy so um, Kaylee, uh, I just feel like there's such a purity on your life, and I saw you massaging Jesus's feet with oil and I just believe that that's part of like the intercessor that's in you. It's like Mary that was sitting at Jesus's feet just you're a worshiper, you're an intercessor and he wants you to know that your prayers anoint people's feet for the gospel so it says you know gird your feet with the the readiness of the gospel and feet represent evangelism spreading the gospel and so i just saw your your prayers being powerful and effective to increase people getting saved for people for empowering people to be, evangel- to be evangelistic, not just evangelist, but just to be evangelistic and, and sharing the love of God with people. And so he just wants you to know he sees that about you and he loves you. All right. Well, Stuart, KC, y'all come on up. Y'all give him a hand. We're excited about what they've got to share this morning. KC's going first. And uh, let's extend your hands. Lord, we just... Thank you for your fresh anointing. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. We pray that you open the heart, the eyes of our heart and our understanding right now in Jesus' name. We love you, Father. Amen. Amen.
2: Okie doke, Smoky Poke. <laughs> well... I've preached a few times before in my life, never to family, so bear with me. I'm as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, but it's going to be good because it's not me that came up with this, it's the Lord. So um, I want to start out by saying that this is a little tool for anything in life, is that before you preach something, whether it's actually in discipleship, or whether it's, you know, in front of a group of people, whatever the case may be, pray, Lord, what have you actually brought me through? What is not something that I've done, like, want to do, but haven't done yet? And so when I was praying that, he brought up the subject of forgiveness, and I'm like, okay, well, so much for light, let's get deep. Um, So I'm going to preach a little bit on forgiveness after I get some water. So just a little bit of my testimony, because you're not going to, you know, a message on forgiveness is not believable unless you know what somebody's walked through. Um, I was born to my mother at the age of 41. She had her tubes tied and had no intention of having me, but I was conceived. And um, so from, from my very conception, I was rejected. I was, you know, not meant to be. I was an uh-oh. I was an oopsies. You know, and for m- all of my life until really the past couple of years, I believed that I was not meant to be. So in that, I experienced a lot of rejection from my mom, from my dad. My dad wanted a little boy, and he didn't get one. And um, so he raised me like one. He raised me like a little boy. I wasn't allowed to cry. I had to, you know, in a bee sting, I had to tough it out. I had to go get his tobacco from his cigarettes, rub it on the bite, and go with it. Um, I had, I was raised in sports. I loved football. It was my God for a very long time. It was an escape. And... Um, Throughout my childhood in that, because I was rejected, I was also abused in in every sense of the term, from my dad, a brother, and from other family members. And so, with statistics and science, psychology typically, you're going to say, "Well, somebody raised in this environment is going to become a prostitute, a drug addict. She's going to experience these sorts of things in her life, and she's not going to, um, she's basically not going to amount to much of anything." And so that's what I kept hearing over and over and over again. But God, <laughs> it's good, ain't it? Um, so in in that. My revival, my personal revival came when I forgave, when I forgave my dad, when I forgave my siblings, when I forgave my mom. My mom left me when she was, when I was 10 years old, she took her own life and, um, I had, I was just constantly being left behind, left behind, left behind, but, um, the Lord made his presence very tangible multiple times throughout various occasions, various circumstances in my life. And he was so gracious to still say, I'm here. I'm here. Even when I was blind and then rebellious in my own way and frustrated, even though I had daddy issues, he was still showing me that he was a good daddy. So let's start with a little bit of this, something I had to, I didn't have the vocabulary words, vocabulary for this literally until this week, but it was something that I had to walk through the past about five years in regards to forgiveness. People, such as myself, often develop coping mechanisms that numb them to their pain. After experiencing this numbness for a period of time, they then come to the conclusion that they have forgiven the source of their pain. When in reality, they have built the Great Wall of China between them and their painful incident or circumstance. And this numbness is counterfeit forgiveness. Forgiveness allows for the relationship to be fully restored if a person has a truly repentant heart. Not a sorry heart, like, oh, I was caught and I'm wrong, yeah, but repentant means to change the way you think about something or someone. But they actually change the way they think, therefore changing who they are and how they act. So, in forgiveness, my, um, my dad, he has not changed. He was a Vietnam vet. He experienced a lot of trauma in Vietnam. And in that, uh, he has not... Come to the full manifestation of who God's called him to be. But regardless, I have forgiven him. And it has become easier over the years. Note that's years. It's not just a one day deciding, oh, I'm going to forgive him. It's constantly laying him down, saying, Daddy, he's yours. I called God Daddy, so sorry for the confusion. <laughs> um, Daddy, he's yours. He's yours to carry. He's yours to steward. And he's no longer mine to control according to my perceptions and judgments of him. So when I released him, I almost immediately began to see him how God sees him, not how I perceived him to be. And so in that, I started realizing that what my, who my dad was, was not who he was meant to be and who he is meant to be. He's still living and God is so good to, you know, still woo him. I do not have a relationship with him. I don't know where he's at, which is unfortunate, but... It's, it's a process of forgiveness. I'm still, I pray for him daily. Like, it's daddy, capture the heart of my father. May he become the dad that he never was. And in that, I have been able to see a lot of healing. Side note. A lot of times people talk about forgiveness of, you know, forgive the person. Because forgiving is not for them, it's for you. It's for you, it's for you. And I propose to you that that's actually a really selfish way to look at forgiveness that when we forgive somebody just for ourselves we're not actually forgiving much at all but when we forgive somebody on their behalf we're actually releasing them from the spiritual judgment that we're constantly hanging over their head and it sets not just us free but it even allows for them to become free so um i don't i don't want us to take forgiveness selfishly i want us to look at it with an honest heart and say, I'm not a good judge. I'm a really good daughter. I'm a really good son. Dad's a good judge. He knows better. I don't. So, Father, I release my dad, my brother, my sister, my, my former best friend, my daughters, my sons to you. Regardless of what they did, I release them to you. There's something within that person that has caused them to act out in such a way. Unforgiveness puts us in God's place. Abiding in unforgiveness says, I'm a good judge and can determine what the best punishment is for this person. God is way more creative in the art of revenge than we are. So... I used to say, I've been like preaching that very line ever since I was in middle school. My friends would come to me with some form of unforgiveness. I'd be like, girl, dude, God is way more creative in in revenge than you are. But it came from a place of bitterness. It came from a place of they're going to reap what they sow. It's going to be bad. That's where it came from. But the Lord brought this up to me again. I totally forgot about this until this week. And he says, you know, I am way more creative in the art of revenge. And it's an art. My revenge is to have revenge on the enemy who causes and influence evil in the world. Not on the face of the, not, not in the face of the person that you give, you hold unforgiveness towards, but actually revenge and avenge you on behalf of yourself towards the enemy. So the greatest revenge is that. That person, no matter what they did to you, comes to know God. And not just know him for the sake of salvation and get their get out of hell free card. But they come to know him intimately as a dad. Come to know Jesus as the big brother and the model and creation and the ultimate potter of all life. And say... I am so sorry. I am a changed man. I'm a changed woman. And now I get to preach the gospel with my life. Whatever that is. The greatest revenge is not that somebody suffers because they hurt you, but it's because they actually live abundantly because God has pursued them. Let's read some scripture. I love the word. Second um, Peter Three nine. If you want to turn to it, write it down, whatever floats your boat. I give time to all my note takers. All right, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is so good. This is the heart of God for anybody and everybody. That none perish. No matter what they've done, how they act. No matter what we determine about that person, his heart is for them to come to full repentance. To change the way they act and think towards life, towards people, towards whatever it is. His heart is that they repent. And so if we want anything other than repentance for somebody, that's not the heart of God. And we're his kids. And he's quick to teach us the art of true revenge, of true repentance. And in that, he just wants people to come to know him. He just, he, all he wants is no matter how hurt we are, how hurt this person is, if they would just come to me. I can heal all their hurt, all their pain. And not only that, but I can heal all the hurt and pain that, that's in somebody else that they've caused. It's literally a trickle effect. Once, once somebody who, who has unforgiveness is held, held towards them, they come to repentance, that person repents, all of a sudden there's a change in the atmosphere, in the spiritual, really. All of a sudden, the other people that they were holding unforgiveness towards, the people that they hurt start feeling a little freer, a little lighter. It's a triple effect because we're all connected because we're family. We have prodigal sons and daughters. Some of us can even be prodigal, even though we're sitting on church on every Sunday morning. But he's quick to bring us home. And he's quick to greet us with a kiss and a ring and a robe. And I want our hearts to be so transformed by, by the beauty of forgiveness That if somebody, when we release forgiveness to somebody and that person ever repents, then they come running towards us and we can welcome them with arms wide open with a kiss and a robe and a ring because that's God's heart. It's not to run from us, but towards us. All right, let's talk about the real enemy for a second. If we wrestle not against flesh and blood... How much more powerful is it that God gets revenge on actual evil, the enemy of humanity, rather than bringing forth revenge according to our judgments and pain. Let's read that scripture. Let's go to Ephesians 6 6:12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your battle is not with the one who hurts you, but the author of all hurt. And he he gets victory every time we hold judgment towards somebody because of what they've done to us. Every time we say this person deserves death, hell, unforgiveness, deserves some other kind of punishment, they should experience what they did to me. Enemy wins every time. But God wins when we say, when we start looking from the Lord's perspective. Okay, let's take my dad for instance. He was a runner his entire life, he was the older brother had a very um, hard raising, went to church every Sunday, never, never, um, never really had an encounter with the Lord for himself, was, const- was manipulating his way through life, constantly had survivor mechanisms. And when I start looking at it from that perspective, that my dad was operating out of pain, then I start realizing that, okay, if he had former pain that caused him to do what he did to me and to his other children then that means that he's not actually the author of something, but something else is. And that's the enemy. And every time we start blaming somebody else for our hurt and our pain, we step out of the, the revelation that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we need to step back into the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That when somebody causes me pain, it's not actually them causing. Because the reality is if, if we know better, we do better. 90% of the time if, you, if, the, if somebody doesn't know better and I'm, talking, I'm not talking about knowing in the head many of us know better in our heads but we don't know it in our hearts and that's why we have yet to change our behavior and that's why others have yet to change their behavior so um, I just I want us to that's one of the keys to for forgiveness is that we actually start recognize the true source of our hurt and pain instead of giving it a face whether it be our mom's dad's Brothers, sisters, etc. And if we really want to get deep, let's consider the fact that many of us have hurt people, including myself here. I did a, in my, in my orphan spirit, formerly, the former creation, the former man, in my rebellion, in my frustration, in my hurt, I hurt a lot of people. Because I had no concept that other people could actually love me. And so when they loved me, I ran. And I ran hard. And I did whatever I could to make sure that they didn't try to chase after me. So let's consider the fact that many of us have hurt people. There's someone out there that that may have unforgiveness in their hearts towards you. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't adhere to their judgments towards you? If we look at it like that, it's like, whoo. Some of you may even be thinking about people that are, that are withholding forgiveness towards you right now. Whether you think what you did was justified or not. Or even if you give yourself a benefit of the doubt. You're still withholding. They're withholding unforgiveness. And, and when you think about, well, they're withholding unforgiveness. I know what it's like to withhold, uh, withhold forgiveness. That's heavy. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he doesn't want us carrying that. And when we carry unforgiveness, we're ultimately carrying judgment towards that person. We're saying we know better. We know better than God. We know better than that person. And therefore, what we proclaim should be done. When something is first addressed, it's heavy. But it's only heavy because we're made aware of what we're carrying. Our great walls start being torn down brick by brick for some people. And for some people, the dynamite of the Holy Ghost just comes ravaging its walls. This is only heavy because God's calling us higher. And when something is on our backs and preventing us from spreading our wings or hopping on his, he just wants it gone. It doesn't mean it has to be an immediate fix, an immediate solution. It just means first with, it starts with, I choose forgiveness whether or not I feel it or not. Feelings are not good masters. That'll preach all on its own. It's true. We need to change the way we think, y'all. We need to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is within reach. When John the Baptist was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that word at hand in the original Greek actually means within reach, meaning we can actually touch it. But the way to reach it, the way to touch it, is that we have to change the way we think. And so in this context, we have to change the way we think about somebody, the person that we're withholding forgiveness towards. And in that, in the way, when we change the way we think, it's, it's really cool. God's actually really quick to give us times of refreshing, refreshing and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some scripture, scripture for that, if you just want to write it down, is 1 John 1, 9 and Acts three nineteen through 20. That if we would just repent, change the way you think, you're going to feel clean. You're going to feel righteous. You're going to feel holy again. You're going to feel light. It's not, it's It's a process. Because it's literally rewiring your brain. But it's beautiful. And the end result, even starting today, you'll start feeling a little bit lighter. you start feeling like you can dance again, like you can sing again, like you can run again. And if you really want to abide in forgiveness, ask the Lord what he has put in that person. And what he has called them to be. Now this is hard. Because you're going to start realizing really fast... That what you thought about that person isn't what God says at all. But it's beautiful. Because as we start hearing the thoughts of God towards somebody, there's something crazy that happens. Like when we start receiving what he has to say, it starts totally rerouting our, the way we hear, the way we see people, and the way we even act towards people. An example, again, my dad. Um... So in my fleshly eyes, he was an abuser, he was manipulative, he was controlling, he was all these sorts of things. But when I start asking, Daddy God, how do you see my dad? He literally took me through memories that were bad memories for me and said, your daddy's really, really brilliant. He's a master craftsman that can do anything with his hands. He was created to create. He was created to love well and to be a good daddy, but he has hurts too that he has to surrender to me. It's like, wow. You no longer start making your unforgiveness about you, but rather you see forgiveness for the entire picture that it is. And that is, I forgive my dad because he was not the author and creator of my pain. It was the enemy of all humanity. And I start seeing him according to how Daddy God sees him and how he was originally created and woven in the womb. He was purpose too. He was meant to be, too. I start looking at him with, with intentionality, knowing that though he did not surrender sooner, it's never too late, and he can surrender. And he can become, still, even still today, Being around 65 years old, he can still become the man that God has called him to be. He can do it. God can do a quicker work in my dad in a moment of a minute than God's even done in me. And I would be totally okay with that. Because that's revenge ultimate. And it's powerful. So let's just imagine this. If we start really forgiving abusers for what they've done to children, what they've done to their wives, what they've done to their husbands, we'll start seeing them up here sharing their testimony. And that's when people really start getting free. Cuz this is an unfortunate common thing that you know children are abused. But I have never heard a man on stage behind a podium saying I used to beat my kids ever. How many people would become free because somebody confessed that and got that real? And how much more forgiven would they be if, say, me or any anybody else that's experienced what I experienced stand up and say, I forgive you. It's okay. Not what you did, but it's okay that you're here and that you're fully alive and that you're purposed for God. (sighs) One last thing. The only way to see people as God sees them is through the gift of prophecy. It's not only saved my life, but it's allowed me to continuously walk in forgiveness when the enemy tries to remind me of something somebody did to me. It's like, devil, (laughs) you may see that person like that, but I don't. I have the eyes and the mind and the mouth of Jesus Christ. And I will not speak against their original created being anymore. So, the reason why I address this is because revival starts here. And there's many of you praying for revival, praying for refreshing, praying for all these things. And there's something that the Lord wants you to give to Him. And that's your determination of what somebody should, what what should happen to somebody that's hurt you. And He is quick to reroute your brain to see what should actually happen. So, I thank you, Lord, that when something's first addressed, it's heavy, but it's about to get really light. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Hmm. And when you say your burden is light, you're not just talking about the weight of something, but the fact that it is actually sunshine and it casts out darkness. And it gets rid of all those things you've been carrying. And he wants it. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The word cast means to cast without aiming. Stop thinking about it. Cast it. And he's going to give you something even better on the end of that hook. So I wanted to talk some on forgiveness. My husband's about to come up here and speak a little bit on empowerment and relationships. Share a little bit of what we've had to walk through with unconditional love and honor. But the reason why we wanted to address forgiveness first is because some of you are going to forgive people today. Some of you are immediately going to be able to go to those people you're withholding forgiveness from and say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me for withholding forgiveness? And you will forgive that person, relationships are going to be restored. And some of you, you're not going to be able to do that quite yet. And guess what? It is so okay. The enemy's not patient, but God is. If, if he was patient then we could he'd never flee if we resisted him but he flees when we resist him runs away screaming like a little girl like scared scaredy cat you know come on up here darling
3: how do you follow that I'm telling you, I do have to take a moment and brag on my wife. Um, To be married to a woman of God, it's an amazing thing. You know, the Bible says that when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. But a lot of people forget the very next part of that verse says that he receives favor from the Lord. And so I believe that there is, a, there is a, a depth of relationship and favor that can only be obtained when a man is married to a godly woman. And I'm thankful that my wife, I call her KC the Revelator. Um, I'm thankful that I'm in covenant with such a wonderful woman. And it makes my walk with the Lord a whole lot easier, to be honest. When you have somebody that encourages you to get in the Word and encourages you to see things differently, it's an incredible asset. So if you have a wife, men, that are godly women, you've got a great thing and there's a level of favor there that you receive just because you have a wife. It's not what you earned. It's because you have a wife. So, that was a nugget that wasn't in what I was going to talk about. (laughs) Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, God. Lord, just flow through this vessel of yours. And Lord, may... Whatever comes out, be exactly what you want. If, this, if, this, if it's not on this page, God, that's okay. Point me in the right direction. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hosea 4, six says, Because of lack of knowledge, my people perish. So that word knowledge means understanding. It doesn't just mean skill. It also means understanding. Or excuse me. It doesn't mean just knowledge. It means understanding, skill, and wisdom. And it also means discernment. So because of lack of discernment, because of lack of skill, because of lack of wisdom, my people perish. Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, says that because of lack of vision, people perish. That word vision in the original Greek also means dreams, and it also means prophetic visions. Huh? Uh, That would be Hebrew. Thank you. Look, your wife help keeps you straight, okay? Old Testament was Hebrew. New Testament is Greek. Um, Does anybody know what Blue Letter Bible is? Holy cow, this is about to be amazing. Um, So Blue Letter Bible is an app that Android and Apple has. And it has every verse in the Bible, and it has uh, the original Greek and Hebrew of every single word. It's a strong concordance on your phone, literally every verse. It is stunning. If you want to study the Word of God and really bring a depth to what you're reading... Just go look up the original Hebrew. Because let me tell you, there's so many, there's so many times I've read a verse that I've heard a thousand times. I've been in church all my life. But the depth of what a one Hebrew word can mean can't even compute to English. So if you really want to take your Bible study into a new depth, download Blue Letter Bible app. And start going interlinear concordance. And your mind will literally be blown. I'm serious. It's amazing. Those strongholds that you have in your mind, they're going to be torn down. Okay? So, um, so for lack of knowledge and lack of vision, the people perish. So I'm going to do an exercise. And I want everybody to close their eyes. Okay? So close your eyes real quick. So this, I'm going to cast a vision. And I'm going to see how many people see what I'm talking about. So I want you to imagine yourself walking through a field right now. There's mountains on either side of you. They have snow uh, peaks on either side. The, 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 the sky is this amazing blue. And there's flowers growing in this field. And they're, they're, they're yellow flowers. And you have your hands out beside you. And your fingertips are touching the flowers as you walk by. And then you you keep walking and there's this creek. And it's this beautiful brook flowing through the middle of this valley. And you're just walking there. And then Jesus, he comes and he walks beside you. And he whispers in your ear and he says, isn't this beautiful? you're like, wow, Lord, this is so beautiful. And he's like, I made it for you to behold. So... Now we can open our eyes again. Who saw what I was talking about? You saw it. You see, visions help us see things that are not as though they were. And so without visions, without seeing things that are not as though they were, everybody, most people raise their hand in the room. You saw something, I don't even know if that valley exists, sure was pretty, (laughs) but I don't know if it exists or not. So bringing that into relationships, what are you envisioning about the relationships in your life? What are you envisioning about the community in which you live? What are you envisioning about the relationship that you have with your wife or with your husband? Are you envisioning things that are good? Or the opposite? Are you seeing that person for who God created them to be? Are you creating that vision in your mind or is all you can see is the argument, the hurt, the pain? So I encourage you have visions Holy Spirit led visions because you can't have visions that are not (laughs) okay you know have you ever heard the saying that the idle mind is the devil's workshop okay you know that Satan's using your dreaming he's using your daydreaming to produce bad fruit in your life does Satan uh, does he create anything or is he just counterfeit it? That's right. So if Satan's using daydreaming to take an idled mind and turn it into his workshop, what can we do when we when we redeem that and do the opposite and let God take what He designed to create hunger in our lives, which is dreaming and visions? And we take that and we apply that to other relationships in our life. It's going to produce a lot of amazing fruit. So I'm going to talk really quickly about the biblical version of karma. You know, I really, I I kind of have this thing against that word, to be honest. Um, Because... It's basically a new age term that we love to throw that. Oh, that's just karma. No, no, no. That's called reaping and sowing. Sowing and reaping. Okay, so what goes around comes around. That's because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So I'm going to talk about a little bit of reaping and sowing. And then we're going to tie that back into relationships, okay? So in 2 uh, Corinthians, it talks about reaping and sowing and I, I'm not, for sake of time, I'm not going to read that verse. But you can go look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Um, There's three laws of sowing. Okay? And this, I want to say this doesn't just apply to Christians. This is a law of God's universe that you can take it whether you are a non-believer or believer. It doesn't matter. This is a law of the universe that says what you sow, you will reap. So that's law number one. If you're going to reap corn, or excuse me, if you're going to plant corn, I promise you, you're not going to harvest apples. Okay? You're going to harvest corn. So if I plant corn, I'm going to get corn. But here's the other part. I reap later than I sow. You see, so I don't sow today and reap tomorrow. Depends on it. it, Sometimes, some of the times, the fruit takes corn takes about one hundred and twenty days. So sometimes I sow and I don't reap immediately. And so what we like to do in relationships is we like to do one wonderful act to our spouse. And we go and we buy them flowers and we buy them candy. And we're like, yay, this is amazing. This is so good. I've done so good today. And then tomorrow when they don't change, we go, what happened? I planted flowers. I got you flowers. Did you not even remember? Yeah, but you didn't do the dishes. It doesn't matter. It Doesn't matter if you live in China, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter your cultural background, husbands and wives, it's all the same. It really is. But I'm not just talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. I'm talking about friends, too. I'm talking about your community. We cannot expect for a harvest to come of love and of God's word We cannot do that, especially when we haven't been planting. If you're not planting in your life, don't expect a harvest. It's not coming. Why? Because you haven't been planting. Okay, so you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow. And here is probably the one of the most, the, the amazing things about this is that you reap more than you sow. So you see, when I sow something in the ground, when I sow one seed of corn, you know, do you know that a cob of corn? I don't know why I'm using corn for example, but it's just really easy. You know that one cob of corn. Picture that in your mind. You see all those kernels. Every one of those is a seed. Do you know that a stalk, one corn kernel, can have five cobs? On one stalk. So when I say we reap more than what we sow, I'm talking about planting one corn and getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kernels. One. But guess what? It takes time. And it takes actually planting. But if we plant, and if we wait... There will be a harvest, okay? But you cannot plant. You will... I, I, okay, sorry. Got My merds my, my got wixed up. Okay. <laughs> so we've got the laws of sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. We're going to reap a little a bit later than we sow, and we're going to reap a whole lot more than what we sow. But remember what I said, that lack of knowledge and lack of vision cause people to perish. So you will not sow. This This is the truth. You will not sow if you don't have knowledge. You will not sow if you don't have vision. And you will not sow if you do not have faith. And let me explain that. If you don't know you can sow... You're not sowing. If you don't know, you can plant. You're not going to do it. Because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. It's not, nec- it's not that it's your fault that you don't know. It could be your fault. You might not be doing it. But you don't know what you don't know. You can't sow if you don't have the skill to sow. Because that lack of knowledge is lack of understanding and, discern- and discernment and skill. So if you don't know, you can't sow. If you don't have vision, you can't sow. You can know something, but if you can't see it, you can't do it. Have you ever had anybody try to tell you a story or or tell you an idea, and they're just like so passionate, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they are just... And then they draw it on a paper, and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. It's because you couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. So we have to know. We have to see it. But finally, we have to have faith. Because if you don't have faith, you can't believe it. So I can see something. I can know about something. And I can see it. But if I don't ever believe for that to come to pass... I'll never do anything with what I know or see. So I have to have faith that what I know and what I see is going to come to pass. Could you imagine if a farmer ever planted a crop and he goes, Well, it might not come up? What a waste of time! If I can't believe that what the work I'm doing today is going to produce a harvest tomorrow, I'll never, ever plant. Because it's not going to come to pass. So we have to see it. We have to know it first. Then we have to see it through either dreams, prophetic visions, drawing pictures, whatever that looks like. But we have to believe that it's actually going to happen. So bringing this back into relationships. What are you sowing into the relationships of your life? What are you sowing into your community? Are you sowing unity or are you sowing division? Cuz it's going to reap a harvest. Or are you the person that just has that you that you want unity? You believe in unity? But you don't know how to sow. Or maybe you don't believe that there ever will be. What if the relationship in your life, whether it be your spouse or friends or whatever, what if you just can't see it If you can start seeing it for how God sees it, then now I've got a vision. Now I've got knowledge. Now I've got a vision and I can believe that this can come to pass. And then I can start doing something about what I actually see and believe. And the relationships in your life and the community that's in this, this, this region can actually start becoming what God wants this thing to be. So what are you sowing in your life? What are you sowing in your relationships. Are you so in love? Are you so in love into other people? But I'm bring this up. Before you can sow love in other people, you gotta sow love in yourself. I'm gonna say that one more time. Before you can sow love in other people, you have to sow love in yourself. Because the Bible says that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. So if I don't love myself, I can't really love my neighbor, can I? And you say, well, Stuart, what does that even mean? What what, what does it mean to love myself? What does it mean to hate myself? Are you jealous of other people's talents and gifts? Because that's not what you have? Do you realize that's hating yourself? Do you realize that when you're jealous that Travis has this manly, deep voice? <laughs> you're like, man, I wish I could talk like him. <laughs> that you're actually hating yourself? You're actually saying that what God created your voice to sound like is not good? So part of loving yourself... This is how we love ourselves. And I don't want this to be twisted. You know, Satan loves to twist things. So I'm just going to take this twist right on out. Loving yourself is not this narcissistic thing that we have going on in society about, it's all about me. that you know what? When we're in the streams that we're in, okay? When you're in the Bethel stream and you're in these, that, that, that we really empower people to be who God created them to be. It's really easy if you don't do it in the right spirit to to create selfishness and to create this, this ugly thing that is not loving yourself. It's really easy. So when it's done in the right spirit, and here's how we do it in the right spirit, it's so easy. Loving yourself is just believing what God says about me to be true. That's loving yourself. So, if you actually believe that God said that you're the righteousness in Christ Jesus, if you actually believe it, you're loving yourself. If you actually believe that you are the apple of his eye, that's loving yourself. If you actually believe that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that you are seated in him in the heavenly places. That's loving yourself. Because when we believe that, it changes our behavior. It changes who we are in our core. And then when we believe that, that's what flows out to other people so that we can love other people well. John 13, 25 says that people will know us by our love for one another. It's what he says. By how well we love other people. You know, I thought it was interesting as I was preparing this. You know, the Lord's like, I was like, Lord, I think it's really interesting that you didn't say that people will know us by how much we sacrifice. That people will know us by how much suffering we do. That people will know us by how much Pain that we endure he didn't say that people will know us by the love that we have and so I started asking God about that he said that's because love accomplishes more than pain will ever do have you ever heard any? I know this this is, a, this is not a rhetorical question but I know the answer Has anybody heard somebody's going through a hard time and they're like, God's teaching me a lesson. God's teaching me. How many times have I heard that? Too many. Too many times. You know, to be a good dad, I know Travis has done this. I'm not even a dad yet, but I'm like, this has got to be a good dad to do this. God was giving me some stuff about the him being a good father and he gave me this scenario that I've never even been in but it was really good he said you know if a teenager is driving his brand new car and a deer runs out in front of him and he swerves overcorrects, and rolls his car in the ditch the father's going to be upset the father's going to come to the scene and he's going to see his son and what's his first thing he's going to ask are you okay? Absolutely. That's what a good dad's going to do. But what else is a good dad going to do? He's going to go, son, that deer ran out in front of you, didn't it? Well, Yeah. Um, next time the deer runs out in front of you, hit the brakes really hard. Do not swerve and just hit it. Okay, so where where, where am I going with that? Did the good father cause the deer to run out in front of the teenager? No, he didn't. But did he miss the opportunity to teach his son? No, he did not. But God is so good at turning things to good that we think he caused it in the first place. Did you cause it? You know, I just... I just really feel like God just sent that deer out in front of me because he wanted to teach me a lesson and is is innocent as that might sound it's just a lie but he's not going to miss the opportunity to teach his children a lesson because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. So where am I going with this? Pain is not the best teacher. Love is. Love is the best teacher. What love does is permanent. What Jesus did on the cross is is permanent. That's love. It was a lot of pain for him. It's a lot of love for us. Is permanent. There are no sacrifices anymore. We don't have to keep atoning for sin because what love did was permanent. And do you realize that in one encounter in worship through a prophetic word, through encouragement, through reading the Bible, can do in one moment what a lifetime of pain could not accomplish? So I want to remove this idea, tear down this stronghold that pain, suffering teaches me. Now I'm not saying that we don't learn in pain. I'm not saying that we take suffering and we don't uh, allow God to use that in our lives. Okay, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is the paradigm in which pain is more effective than love has got to go. And in your relationships, and in your marriages, and in your community, when you want that other person to hurt, sure, maybe one day it can produce some fruit sometimes pain does. But the chances of collateral damage with the avenue of pain for change is way higher than it is with love. And what pain takes a very long time to do can be done instantaneously with love. I've given prophetic words to people at the Gay Pride. We had a spiritual booth. And these people, y'all... It's the most amazing thing. I know in their heart they're hurting because they're not running after what God wants them to run after. But to watch people come in hour after hour, there was a line outside the tent. All day. You didn't even want to get up to go to the bathroom. You didn't want to go eat. Because if I go eat, if I get up, this person might not get an encounter. Because the line might be too long. And they might not wait. But I've seen words melt a heart of stone like instantaneously. Instantaneously. A lifetime of pain, weeping. Love always does more than pain. Always, always, always. So, how do we love people well? We first, we gotta love ourselves, we gotta believe what God says about me to be true. And when I believe that and when I come from that paradigm, I can sit across from somebody that's hurting and in pain. And I can be the Father's heart for them and I can melt off that heart of stone and all the hurt and the pain. And I can have compassion for them. But I got to believe what God says about me first. But then how do I love that person well? First, I got to honor them. Do you realize you only have access to what you can honor? You only have access to what you can honor. So if you can't honor a person, you don't have access to their gifts. If I don't honor you for what you carry, I cannot have access to your gifts because I don't value them. So first we've got to honor the gifts that God has given them. You can honor a person for three things. Bill loves to say this, and it's just good stuff. You can honor them for the fact that they were made in the image of God, that they have gifts and talents that God's given them that are irrevocable. All of us in the church, we like to think that the gifts uh, of, of the Spirit and stuff like that, that God gave to people, you know, that sorcery and palm reading is just a twisted of, of discernment and prophecy, it's just a different spirit. Same gift. But guess what? It's irrevocable. God doesn't take it back, even though they're not using it correctly. <laughs> so they're made in the image of God. So we can, we can honor that about that person. We can honor the gifts that God has given them. And then there's a third part is we can honor them because of uh, the presence of God on their life. You can always honor a person for two reasons. Even if they're living in the world completely rebellious to God, they're still made in His image and they still have gifts that God given them. Spirit of God resting upon them, maybe not so much, okay? But you can always honor people for two reasons. Loving others well, we empower their dreams. So if somebody comes to me and they're sharing this dream and they're just like, share in their heart and I just like throw water on their fire. Man, it's going to take the wind out of their sails. I'm so glad we're in a community that believes in people, that believes in their abilities and empowers them to go chase their dreams down, not just well, you need to be careful of that. And I'm not saying we don't give wisdom, okay? I'm not saying that we don't give guidance. But let me tell you, if you're not in a relationship with that person, let me just give you an example. Maybe someone's really excited about something and they come share this dream with you and they're just like passionate. And like you just get quickened in your heart about something to say, but you don't even know this person. I would give you a word of caution. It's probably not wise if you're not in relationship with somebody to give them a whole lot of guidance. The fact that they're coming and telling you that dream is probably because they're really excited, not because they really want your guidance. You know, it's kind of hard to swallow the fact that sometimes people don't want to know what we think. <laughs> They don't really want your opinion. They just want you to encourage them. They don't really want your guidance. They just want you to, to say you're doing good. You're a good boy. You're a good daughter. So I'm glad that we're in a, in a culture that does that. But loving people, loving people well also means that we, uh, we put water on their fears, we extinguish their fears. We encourage them to chase after what God has put in their life. And now finally bringing back into this sowing and reaping. Loving people well is sowing and investing in their life. That's how we love people well. So if you want the relationships in your life to blossom, if you want the community in which you live in to grow abundantly in unity, What are you sowing? So bringing this all to a close, if you, we we can know about it, we can see it, and we can believe it, but there's a really big problem in the church as a whole. Maybe not this one specifically. There's a really big problem in the church in the fact that we know it, we can see it, and Lord, we believe it. But I'm too lazy to do it. And I'd rather give somebody else my money so I don't have to give my time. I'd rather, I'd rather yeah, I believe you, but you go do that. Man, you look so good doing that. <sighs> That's just not my gift. That's just not my gift. I'd just rather just give you the money. You do it. How many times have I? I'm, I'm guilty. I am guilty of that very same thing. So I'm not up here preaching like I'm <laughs> got this thing all together, okay? Because there's times I'm like, y'all got it. <laughs> I'm good, you know, I'm good. But if you're really seeking after community and unity, in successful relationships, we got to take the step from the knowledge and the vision and the belief into the doing. Because all that stuff, the Bible says in James, uh, I'm going to give you the verse. I didn't write it down. It's in James. But y'all know this one. Y'all have heard it. Faith without works is? That's right faith without works is dead. you know what that word dead means in the original Greek? Blue letter Bible stuff again. It means devoid of power or force. Devoid of power or force. So you see, I can believe. I can have faith. I can see it. I can know about it. But if I don't do anything, it's like I never even knew. If I don't walk it out and actually sow, then everything I know, everything I see, everything I believe is 100% devoid of power. Devoid of force. It cannot change anything because you have to do, you have to sow. But let me tell you what will happen. What will happen when a community says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sow into our community love. We're going to sow into our community the word of God. Guess what God's promise is? There will be a harvest. And it will be of love. And it will be of God's word. And it will grow. And we are believing that Athens will be saved. And we were talking about that this morning in the prayer circle. That You know, if we want Athens to be saved, we better have a whole lot more unity. Because the awakening can't hold everybody. Right. Not only can the awakening not hold everybody, the awakening is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. God has communities. We might be the foot. We might be the leg. There are other churches that are different parts of the body. But if we don't start getting some unity, and thank God for Steve Smith that's doing the Athens Prayer Network, that's trying to build unity and he's pioneering in that stuff. Thank God that he's doing that. But if we don't get some unity, what's going to happen when the whole Athens gets turned over to the Lord? They'll have nowhere to go. And then not only will they have nowhere to go, they'll show up to this church and they'll say, don't go to that church because that church is demonic. And then they're going to go, holy cow. There was more unity in the world. Ouch. Because we split frog hairs. We split them. Well, I think the color of the carpet should be red and I think it should be blue. Well, I'm going to go make my own church because I want my carpet to be blue because God loves blue. (laughs) And I know that's silly, but y'all, we do that with doctrine. We take one verse. We we believe 99% the same, but we got one verse that we die on that hill. This is the hill I'm dying on. And we split a whole church. And it's sad. But the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, see, I might have different convictions than Travis, than Rob, than Miss Ann. But to be in community, I can't place my convictions on them, it's my conviction. But, see, that's what we did. We had a conviction about the way the Bible reads this particular situation. And because it was my conviction, I wanted to go get around everybody else to have my conviction. And instead of staying in community and unity, we just went and did our own little thing. Because this is our verse. This is our verse. We like this one. So I encourage you. If we want unity... Is anybody that doesn't want unity, please don't raise your hand. I'll just answer that one for you. So, if we all agree that we want unity in the church, what are we doing about it? If, we all, if everybody wants great relationships and great marriages, what are you sowing? What are you doing? Are you growing in your communication skills? Are you growing in your ability to to handle uh, conflict? Because if you're not, you can know all this wonderful stuff, but you can't plant. And if you can't plant, you cannot harvest. And y'all, this stuff applies to every area of your life. Relationships, finances, you name it. It's a law. God's principles. And it's, it does not, it's not a respecter of persons. What are you planting? So I want to pray for us real quick. And then Travis, I'm going to get back to you. So if everybody will stand up. your hand on your heart. I heard Chris Volton do this and this is, I just love his, this is just such a sweet way in my mind of, of leading people in prayer. Lord, I just ask right now that every person in this room would be an ambassador of unity for this community. That every person in this room, God, that you would impart the skills show them the resources give them the knowledge give them the visions God to have successful relationships and community in their life Lord that you would show them visions of what actually a unified church looks like what a unified marriage looks like what a successful friendship looks like in your eyes not in the worldly eyes but God give them your eyes to see those situations God, I pray for an upgrade in faith right now in Jesus' name that the people in this room and outside the walls, every person that we come in contact with, Lord, that the people in this room would have an upgrade in the faith for believing that Athens can be saved, that the church can be unified, that this entire nation can turn to you in a day, Lord. If you can turn an entire City, the biggest city in the world, Nineveh, in three days. With no modern communication whatsoever. If you can turn, and then the biggest city in the world in three days, what can you do today? When you have a church that's committed to unity. So God, I ask that every person in this room, Lord, that you would breathe on the fire of their heart that they would have a desire for community, a hunger for unity, God. But that you would give them the skills and the resources to know what to do. You would give them the vision to see what it's going to look like. That you would give them the faith to believe for it. But God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every person in this room would have the courage To act out what they know, what they see, and what they believe. To act out what they know, what they see, and what they believe. And that at this point forward, they would be committed to sow one seed at a time. And that you would impart patience so that they can see the fruit, and the harvest. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Tommy, if you'll just put the uh, giving slide up there. We're going to have a time of ministry, and Casey and Stuart if y'all come up here and uh, any other ministry people that are signed to be on ministry team. But we'll invite you down. If you need to forgive somebody, today's the day of salvation. <laughs> today's the day to do it. And uh, when I've walked out forgiveness in my life, I've typically, when you, need, when you need to forgive somebody, you also need to repent for judging them. And... Um, you, also, you ask the Lord, forgive me for any way my judgments have affected anybody, including whoever you're judging. And so, um, because you're, we are corporate, you affect people around you. Um, what I do affects my wife and my children, my community. Same for you. And so, uh, we need to recognize that we have power, you know, for good or for evil. And, we, and God's empowered us to be to use it for good. So we're going to, if we can just play um, a song, Tommy, for ministry, this is going to, if you you can, I invite you to come down, receive help and forgiveness. They'll lead you through prayer. If you need prayer for physical healing, we want to pray for the sick, um, injury, sickness, disease, whatever it is, we want to pray f- for you and with you. And, um, but let's uh, go ahead and bring the music up. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I pray right now that you would, Seal the work, seal the word that you've released in Jesus' name. Father, declare salvation, healing, and deliverance. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. So come on down, receive ministry. You're free to go as you please. Bless you guys. We'll see you next time.